Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Very early on in his work, The Poetics, Aristotle is going to make a very important distinction that helps us separate out the different kinds of poetic mimesis. And he's going to tell us that, you know, we have epic and tragic poetry, comedy, dithyram, music, both for the flute and the lyre, and that all of these are types of mimesis. Now, they're not the only types of mimesis. He'll also talk about painting, but we're concerned with the ones that incorporate music music, meter, the sorts of things that fall over on one side, as opposed to what we could call typically the plastic arts. So painting, sculpture, things where you're representing primarily visually. And so he's going to say that we can distinguish these from each other. They're all kinds of mimesis, right? So they have that in common. We can distinguish them in three different respects, three different ways. And what are these? Well, so there's the media, the objects, and the modes. And these are translations which, you know, they're decent translations. They could be a little bit misleading, so they each require a, a bit of explanation. So you notice that in the Greek, he uses this hetero, right? This means other or different from. So we've got different media, the to-en, what the thing is in, what the representation or imitation, well, that's what we translate mimesis is, what it's being conveyed in. Later on, he'll call this en hoist, and that just means in what, right? So we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. And then we have the different objects, to-hetera, right? So the a ending on that indicates that we're talking about stuff. And so different kinds of things that are being represented or imitated in the composition. So that's in Greek, just ha. And then we have different modes. And mode, that could mean a lot of different things. Here's where going directly to the Greek might be a little bit illuminating. So to heteros, that ending os is very important. And the hos, the how. Right? So when we're thinking about modes, we're thinking about how the media is actually being used effectively to produce the mimesis, the imitation, the representation. And he's going to discuss each of these in turn in a bit more detail. So he'll tell us that the media includes three main aspects. Rhythm, which is just a transliteration of hruthmos, right? The Greek word for that. And then something that we can translate as melody or even more literally as song, melos. So there's a musical aspect or element to the this part of mimesis. And then we have meter. Now, meter is how things come out in time, right? So, for example, in Aristophanes' uh, comedy, The Frogs, it's just one of the little lines that I do remember from back when I was first learning ancient Greek, the frogs themselves are croaking, 
right? And so he makes up some words with this, and it goes brekekekex coax coax, right? So that da 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 da. That is a meter, and the Greeks had all sorts of meters. And actually, this is very common in both Greek and Latin poetry in the ancient world, and we still use it to some degree today. If you think about a spoken word poetry or hip hop and rap lyrics, when somebody is engaging in that, there's a certain kind of da 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 da. That's a meter, right? So all of these things come together in the different sorts of media that are offered. And he gives you some examples of this. He tells us that we can have some arts that use all of these media, like dithyram and tragedy and comedy. Others don't use all of them. And it's not enough to have this media to be a imitation. And he uses a great example here. So he talks about Homer, right? Homer is an epic poet, most famous for the Iliad and the Odyssey, using these different elements. And then he talks about Empedocles. Now, Empedocles is what we would call a natural philosopher, but a lot of the earlier philosophers wrote in poetry, and he says that we should actually call him a natural scientist, a fusiologon, right? rather than a poet. And then he brings up one other really interesting example. If someone should produce mimesis in a medley of all of the meters, and he brings up this guy, Chiromon, composing a centaur, a hybrid rhapsody containing all the meters, it's still poetry, right? Now, what about in tragedy? So when we get down to tragedy specifically, the media that we're really paying attention to, there are six elements, or we could call them dimensions, whatever you want to call them, parts of tragedy, and two of them are in the media. So diction, lexis, what is being said and how it's being said, right? The way in which you're articulating things. And then what he calls lyric poetry, melopoeia. This is the medium, or media, the two together, in which tragedy takes place. And, you know, so when you're reading a Greek tragedy, you may not notice this as you're reading it in translation. And it's it's a little bit different when it's actually up on the stage, right? The lexus of the actors plays a role. Do they mumble a lot? Do they articulate well? So that's one key aspect. And then we have a much broader range of the objects, the things, the matters that are actually being represented through mimesis. And this allows us to differentiate things as well. So, you know, some types of imitation don't necessarily use all of these. Some do. We can say the same thing about the objects. In general, the objects are people in action, prachontas, doing something. Although we can also extend this to people suffering, as we're going to see is a very important thing in, in tragedy. And we could even say with like lyric poetry, if there's a love poem, ooh, I love you so much, I miss you so much, right? Well, that's a kind of suffering as well. But we could roll that all under what people do and what happens to them. And he says that we look at people who are either better than us in general or worse than us in general. And this helps differentiate things too. So like tragedy, for example, at least the main characters are typically people who are of a higher, more elevated status 
status greater than the average person who is the spectator for it. Comedy tends to be about screw-ups, people who are lower in not necessarily class, but certainly in their moral qualities, right? And now he says at one point, they're typically not the worst, right? They're not totally vicious, but they do tend to be bad people, right? Or we could have representation of people on our own level, and that differentiates these types of mimetic arts and their products from each other. In tragedy, three of the most important elements of tragedy have to do with the objects, what is being represented. So by far for Aristotle, the most important thing is what we call plot and what he calls muthos, which you can use the word myth to render that as a cognate, but it's really more story, right? Myths, the way that we think of them, are a particular kind of story, right? And so stories, narratives in general, are what are being presented in the narrative. And then we also have character ethos. Now, we tend to think of character as, well, this person is this character, like it's an action movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is playing this guy, right? Or in a rom-com, this actor and this actress are playing these people over here. What Aristotle means is not the one single person, the individual, but rather the character that that individual has. So in general, are they a good person or a bad person? Are they given to impatience? Are they thoughtful? We could go on and on and on. So these are generic traits which then find themselves in particular individuals. I almost said unified, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes characters can have different qualities that are almost at war with each other. And so that's something that's being depicted in tragedy as well. And then thought, dianoia, what it is that people think about things, but even more, their motivations, the reasons why they are making the choices to engage in the actions or take the positions or adopt a certain viewpoint that they are in the play. So they explain themselves. And notice how some of these kind of go together, right? How do people actually explain themselves? Well, by talking or singing, right? So they show their character and what they do, but also in why they do it. And all of this feeds into the plot. Finally, we have the mode. And this can take a lot of different forms. How, in fact, does the poet, the person who is writing the epic, the tragedy, the dithyram, pick whatever else it is, how, in fact, do they carry this out? So one way is by narration, apangalonta, right? So by announcing things to people, personation, basically how things play out, right? And he says that Homer does both of these. So how should we make sense of that. If you've ever read Homer, there's parts of Homer where he is just telling the story, right? And then Achilles was angry at Agamemnon with this fierceness in his heart. He's about to draw his sword thinking, I should kill this man where he stands, right? That's somebody talking about Achilles, telling us what's going on in his head. And then Achilles actually speaks, right? Oh, Agamemnon, you're a crappy king. Now, this is not how Homer says it. <laughs> 
is a much more elevated language, but that's part of what's going on there. And then Athena shows up and she's like, Achilles, don't kill him. That would be a terrible idea, right? That's the character speaking for themselves. That's personation. And then we also have enactment. Prachontas kai energuntas, like doing things. Now, in somebody like Homer, there isn't this aspect of the doing things. The doing is being related or told in the narrative. But in tragedy, up on the stage, at least with some of the things that are being done, some of the action often happens off stage. People are doing things. People are moving around the stage. People are getting in each other's faces or matters like that. And so in tragedy, Aristotle is going to tell us that the way in which this takes place is through what we translate as spectacle, opsis in Greek, the stuff that we actually see on the stage. And so this would be, you know, the actors themselves moving around with their masks, doing their grand gestures. All of that is part of the mode. So, you know, this allows us not only to classify in general what's what's actually going on in the mesis, but to differentiate not only these different areas or dimensions, but to differentiate the different types of poetic production, which includes musical performances, right? but is particularly centered on what we typically call poetry, epic, tragic, comedic, and and other poetry in which people are, in fact, carrying something out in a medium, representing certain objects, and doing so in a certain mode. So this is some distinctions that Aristotle's making very early on that I think can be quite helpful for wrapping our head around his view on the different sorts of mimetic or poetic productions that we encounter in ancient Greek culture. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.